0: are made possible by donations from people like you.
1: So the topic for the today's talk is avoidance and acceptance. I guess it's an area in which both therapy and zen meditation dovetail and overlap. Last, uh, at our last retreat, we were, um, we talked about um, the sense of wonder that we experience as children and adolescents, uh, how we are closer to being in touch with uh, the wonder of life as it is, and as we become into adulthood, how that tends to, we have that fall from grace and tend to um, lose connection with, or that wonder gets covered over, obscured in various ways, and sometimes the world seems to lose its gloss and becomes boring. We talked about how we necessarily have to identify with and invest in the separate self or the ego, Um, a necessary developmental achievement, but if we just remain in the separate self We become imprisoned or caught within the suffering of the separate self. So even from a developmental perspective, the calling is for the next step is to transcend the separate self and to realize our true nature. And um, the separate self itself is really just the activity of suffering. And it tends to take two basic forms in the various spiritual teachings. Um, The first is the sense of lack. Inevitably, if we are separate, we will always experience a sense of lack, which will manifest in different ways. Um, May manifest something missing, something wrong with me, something I'm not good enough etc etc. Um, The sense of lack itself is uh, not necessarily a bad thing because it does set us off on our search our search for that which we are missing and the other form that suffering takes is the sense of uh, in Buddhism it's sometimes referred to as aversion. We tend to speak in terms of resistance in this teaching. So the resistance to this moment or the avoidance of this moment. So there are we often experience uh, where we where we're at, um, whatever form that takes is again somehow not being um, where we should be or. Um, this is not it, or I don't want to feel this, etc. And uh, that can sometimes take the reality of a sense of boredom or, or fear. Today we're going to look at the sense of avoidance um, and by focusing on one example of that, uh, which is the sense of how we often experience ourselves as suffering from some kind of personal inadequacy uh, or shame. And um, looking at the resolution of this sense of shame or inadequacy in um, acceptance. There's a couple of um, descriptions of the sense of shame. Um, I'll just read out to you. From various participants in the research that Brené Brown did in this book Uh, she published um, I thought it was just me but it isn't so here are some of the definitions of the research participants Um, shame is that feeling in the pit of your stomach that is dark and hurts like hell you can't talk about it and can't articulate how bad it feels Because then, everyone would know your dirty little secret. Shame is being rejected. You work hard to show the world what it means to see. Shame happens when your mask is pulled off and the unlikable parts of you are seen. It feels unbearable to be seen. Shame is feeling like an outsider, not belonging. Shame is hating yourself and understanding why other people hate you too. Shame is like a prison, but a prison that you deserve to be in because something's wrong with you. Shame is being exposed. The flawed parts of yourself that you want to hide from everyone are revealed. You want to hide or die. So you can see from those descriptions that the research participants gave, how, um, how incredibly painful this, this feeling can be. And um, after having listened to many descriptions of shame and she came up with a kind of her own definition uh, which was this one Uh, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of acceptance and belonging so as you can see um, Shame is a very good example of um, one of the forms that um, suffering takes in in the form of the separate self. And uh, how when we identify with the separate self, which is a, a fragment of the whole, we always have this sense of feeling incomplete and insecure. And often it does take this form, this core feeling of not being good enough. I think most of us have experienced that at some points in our life, including myself, of course. One of the things about this, um, my own personal journey of Zen, uh, starting with um, which really sort of uh, gained a certain momentum when I started to relate to my teacher, Barry, was the sense in which um, in that teacher-student relationship um, there's almost an inevitability of um, of a sense of uh, I somehow didn't have it or was missing it or um, something that Barry had that I didn't have. This is the common experience that a lot often um, um, if, if one is a genuine teacher, one will use that to um, gradually help the student realize that there's absolutely nothing missing or nothing lacking. That, um, the true self or true nature that Barry experiences is exactly the same as true self or true nature that I experience. Uh, but because of all the layers of uh, conditioning and the years of separateness, that we all inevitably have this sense of this basic sense of not being good enough. And you know, when you talk to people, even people who have uh, been at, outstanding achievers in various f- forms of. Um, Human expression will still have that sometimes have that feeling that they're not good enough, no matter what they achieve. Very similar to a lot of um, rich people who never have enough money. Um, so, the sense in which the shame is founded on this sense of lack, and this, and also, so, in, so shame is that sort of quality of lack, and it also also has that quality of. It's a painful feeling that I also want to get rid of. So it really crosses both those two basic forms of suffering. Another important aspect of of this is uh, the idea of projection. That when we experience a sort of sense of personal inadequacy or deficit of some kind, that particular core belief uh, is projected onto others and we presume that is what other people will think about us. So we experience ourselves as others also seeing ourselves as being deficit or inadequate in some way. And again, that takes different forms. It might take a it, it, it might take the form of something to do with our bodily appearance or it might take the form of something to do with our you know lack of competence etc and uh, so it follows that if we are projecting this sense of inadequacy uh, onto the other then it's going to uh, create problems in our intimate relationships and work relationships um, so for example um, i've um, sometimes work with people where That sense of um, personal inadequacy projected on the others sets them up to feeling vulnerable to obsessive jealousy, for example. Always feeling, always on the alert that the partner is going to uh, find someone else who's going to be much more adequate or better than me because I'm inevitably flawed and inadequate. And there's no way that that person can love me because I'm inherently unlovable so they are going to find somebody else. And this can play havoc with relationships because when, we, when the person might be caught in that jealousy they then act that jealousy out which then creates problems for their partner. And inevitably you know we end up uh, with the partner leaving us um, and which then reinforces our basic sense of inadequacy and the cycle continues. So, um, in both uh, Western therapies and also in in Zen teaching and practice and and other uh, non-dual teachings, the resolution to this sense of shame or inadequacy is acceptance. Um, But it's important that we don't turn acceptance into some kind of technique or practice.
0: Um, <coughs> that we
1: don't turn the uh, acceptance into another technique that we practice, that the ego can latch onto. Um, so in Zen practice we seek simply to, um, to see our true nature, realize ourself, as I talk so often, as about ourselves as awareness. And awareness itself is that realization that actually we are nobody. And in being nobody, there is no self there as such to not accept. And uh, one of the obvious qualities of awareness, but we always miss this because they're so obvious, is that uh, it's one of complete acceptance. Awareness does not judge, and awareness doesn't say no to anything. Um, if you like, awareness is that sense of, uh, of total openness. So if we imagine awareness as a space, like this open space within this room, uh, when people come into this room, when the visitors come into this room, awareness doesn't say, oh I don't like that person, or I don't like that person. It just, it just totally accepts everybody that comes into the room. It's only the mind, a thinking process that evaluates and judges. So, that quality of acceptance, of awareness, as acceptance, is a function of awareness, it's, uh, it's naturally what it is. We don't have to practice that or, or make that into a technique of any kind, it's, it's who we already are. So as in the, uh, the metaphor of Rumi's guesthouse, it's a very common metaphor in various teaching texts, the, the, the host. Um, is awareness, and uh, the guests are the various contents of awareness, whether they come in the form of sensations, perceptions, thoughts, or feelings, or syndromes, clusters of thoughts and feelings. Awareness accepts all of those guests, it welcomes them all. So we resolve the problem of shame not by trying to get rid of it. once we recognize our true nature as awareness, we take our stand as awareness. We become knowingly awareness. The opening in which all, this, all these feelings and thoughts come and go. So when we experience, when, a, when some sense of shame is triggered by a situation based upon associations with previous memories when shame was triggered, we feel the pain of shame. Awareness welcomes it and allows it to be there. This is not going to be something that uh, necessarily comes overnight, it's a gradual realization. So we also notice the resistance uh, to accepting the shine. So we accept the resistance, don't, bec- don't resist the resistance, don't set up another level of resistance. Just allow, just notice the impulse to avoid the shame. In a way, we have to, 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 to live without shame. We first have to live with it, we have to learn to welcome it within ourselves. The same with other difficult or painful feelings, whether, it, for example, fear is the same to learn to live without fear, we must first learn how to live with it. So with the more we can um, uh, allow ourselves to experience these, this painful feeling which we call shame, the more we accept it, the more we welcome the shame completely, and the more we are, we are okay with it, the more that we no longer need it to go away. Paradoxically, we become more accepting of ourselves. And at the same time, that, that projection that used to be the where we would experience others also as seeing us as it's not inadequate in some way will also fall away. So the journey is that sense of welcoming the shame. Allowing the shame to be there, the painful feeling of the shame to be there. And being okay with that. Awareness itself is love and we meet that painful feeling of shame with love. And eventually we ourselves realise ourselves. As being okay and lovable. So I'll finish there. And um, are there any questions? Are we going for time? Or is there any time left? <coughs>
0: okay.
1: So if anybody wants to ask a question or share anything, that's I think there is an intermediate step, like um, as I was alluding to my sense of a relationship with Barry is like a Zen teacher or a therapist. and uh, the same with a caregiver, I guess, you know, um, uh, uh, either from a, a point of view of a child and a caregiver or the point of view of a client and a therapist. Um, they're there, they're, uh, or even from the point of view of a friend and a friend, um, um, there's a sense in which um, that unconditional acceptance you know, from a caregiver or a friend or a therapist can, can actually be a very helpful intermediate step in, and then that final step being to, to actually see our true nature ourselves as awareness. And in, in that sense, we then we then parent ourselves in a way. This this um, inquiry into in, into 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 painful uh, emotions um, as being part of Zen practice is not something you you sometimes occasionally get some allusion to it in the classical texts, but um, it really was, it was only teachers like Joko and uh, and some other teachers that um, like Tony Packer. Uh, that started to bring the uh, how um, uh, you know we don't have to um, just focus on the physical pain. The phys- I mean, it, you know, often in those early days of macho Zen retreats, <laughs> often the focus was on physical pain because it was so damn physically painful sitting all those hours. But like, um, it's not, I started to realize that. Um, <laughs> There's actually a lot of other emotional pain here that uh, sometimes the focus on the physical pain would bypass, and so one could really, um, um, you know, push through physical pain and have some kind of uh, opening experience um, that bypass a lot of the emotional pain. And uh, so joker was always really keen to, uh, joker Beck, the founder of Ordinary Mind School, to pay attention to the ways in which we experience this emotional pain to, for the emotional pain itself also to be the gateway to realising our true self. So, as the domain of everyday life presents us with numerous opportunities for being with these, these painful feelings of inadequacy, there's so many opportunities in the West to feel that way because of the competitive nature of the culture that we live in.
0: Mm. So ultimately, though, that you, as you uh, accept more and more and feel more and more the pain of, of the shame, let's say, that one might be experiencing, that I might be experiencing, that, uh, the, the, the pain over time subsides. The, mm-hmm.
1: the um, when you're able to be with the pain and um, the pain will dissolve in the, in the love of your awareness in that sense. Mm. Your awareness is always bigger than the pain of the shame. If the if the resistance does come, then just allow the resistance to be there, but notice the resistance to feeling the pain. So
0: is there also like a, um, a sense there of um, like being able to feel the pain, you, is but then letting it go? Or is that the letting go not necessarily part of this
1: way? of...? The more we're able to be with it, then the the. Uh, the, the 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 more it will um, move, uh, flow easily mm-hmm. um, the more the more the resistance the, 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 the it will continue.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, can there be like different levels? Like is it, do you think it's possible to <coughs> get to a level of awareness and acceptance of a of a shame dynamic around whatever it might be, and feel comfortable with that and then let, and let that go. And then through that awareness, maybe a deeper level of shame or, or shame about another thing can then come in and it's another process or another experience to do with that. It's then becoming aware of the shame around, assuming the shame is connected to some memory. Sure, yeah. Yes. Right. It could go on for a long time. <laughs> or it could be quick. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The, the, the the what you notice is is more a transformation in the frequency and severity of them. Yeah. In other words, rather than lasting for, you know, going on for all day or for a week or whatever.
0: Yeah, you get it gets short. Yeah. And you smile and go, oh yes, you recognize it, yeah. right. I know this one. Mm. Bring
1: it on. See, the more you realize, the more we realize ourselves as awareness, then awareness is non-separable. But there's no sense of self and other in awareness. Mm. As long as we're separate, we're going to experience some of these kinds of forms of suffering. But yes,
0: because if if there's no separateness there, it's a matter of thinking. I suppose that there's nobody else who is really judging us or making us. Feel shamed or whatever, because it's all part of the same thing, and it's all part of our own yeah. It's all part of
1: our own acceptance of ourselves. Yeah, we—it's just the mind, and we just observe the mind doing what the mind does. And the mind has preferences and likes and dislikes, which include sometimes these kinds of thoughts that, oh, um, well, you stuff that up, or you're not that good, are you, or you etc. etc. And we are able to see that we are not our mind. We can usually detect the mind by a little wave of anxiety that rises up, which gives us a sign that the mind's active. Mm. And the we see we start to we start to glimpse it, we start to see our true nature, our awareness. And then the next stage is to is to is to stand as awareness to to live our life from that place of awareness that and that goes on forever really in the sense that can that can deepen and deepen it really life, looking at
0: things.
1: it's in it it's it's not um it's not far away it's not it's not it's you know, whenever you, you just. just. you've got to experientially verify this for yourselves. It's, it's not a theory, so it's kind of like. Um, for example, if you're feeling a wave of anxiety rising, um, I often. To, for me, listening's always been. so listening to sounds has often been a, a good way to drop back into awareness again. You know, it could be the sound of a car, or it could be the sound of birds. Dropping and dropping back in. There's no time in awareness. Okay, time is just created by the mind. (laughs) You drop into awareness. Awareness is not anxious. Awareness is never anxious. It's only the mind that creates these ripples of anxiety.